Welcome to the Mechanical Inc. podcast, a collection of conversations about the open source ecosystem. We speak with maintainers and companies that play a key role in ensuring the health and sustainability of open source today and in the future. Hey, Vicky. Well, hi there. Thanks for having me. It's a huge pleasure. Um, the first time I interacted with you was uh, quite a long time ago when you helped me get an article on opensource.com. And it was an article about third world problems, which is a... Yeah, um, I remember that now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which was an initiative I tried to get off the ground as a means to, I don't know, use open source and technology to try and identify and find ways to help solve real world third world problems. Unfortunately, at the time, I was didn't have enough connections, didn't know exactly who to speak with, and it kind of fell flat. But I, I'm going to try it again one day because I still want to do something in that 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 area. So yeah, that's what that's where we started interacting, and then I followed your work all the time because I'm uh, involved in open source a lot. So naturally you come up everywhere. Like when I join a community, it's like, oh, Vicky's here. <laughs> so that's really cool. But without me talking too much about yourself, I'm going to hand the mic over to you. Um, so please tell us about yourself, your background, how you came to do what you do, what gets you up in the morning, and then just on a side one, a little bit about, as you call them, your feline overlord, yeah. Nigel and Oscar. Yeah, they may join us at some point, or maybe not. Who knows? Um, so about me, um, I've been in... Uh, free and open source software for more than 30 years now um, in various forms, one form or another, uh, but didn't really come to do it full time until probably around 2017 or so, um, when I had the honor of leading a team of developers that were 100% distributed and 100% dedicated to working upstream on software, uh, open source software. Specifically, they were working on OpenStack. Um, and they were just, you know, still to this day, I think the best team I've ever had the honor to lead. They're just amazing people. Every single one of them blows my mind with how brilliant they are. Um, so, uh, but now what I do is corporate strategy specifically around free and open source software. How can companies be more successful by releasing, contributing to, and um, using free and open source software in a way that's good for their bottom line and for the communities? And uh, that's something that pretty much every company needs. And to this point, I haven't really seen many companies do it well. Um, it's it's starting to gain a lot of mind share now, though, which is great for those of us who work in this industry, but um, is unfortunate for everyone else on the far side because all the companies that aren't paying attention to it are, as you see, getting compromised and not contributing back to green open source communities and things like that. But that's okay because this is a fixable thing and that's what I'm working to fix. Um, uh, what gets me up in the morning right now is working on my second book, um, which we'll talk about later. Um, I quit my job back in October, so um, for various reasons, um, and now I'm focused primarily on the book, but actually what I'm doing is getting over a lot of burnout as well. It turns out I've learned <laughs> when I quit my job, I was really burned out, um, and so uh, I'm getting all the sleep in the world. Oh, it's wonderful. And just taking care of myself. And of course, spending time with the feline overlords. Um, Nigel and Osgood. Nigel's about 16 and he's a black kitty. He lived on the street for two years before I rescued him. Um, got him from the Berkeley Animal Shelter in Berkeley, California. And Osgood just came to join us last year. He's a little gray and white striped kitty. Um, but he's polydactyl. He has thumbs, which is adorable. Uh, wow. Yeah, he's a, uh, but he came from the Portland Humane Society here um, in Oregon. And um, he settled in quite well. Osgood and Percy and Nigel are, are kind of best friends and they hang out and they snuggle together and it's adorable. Wow, that's so lovely. 16, that's like a really, really good age for a cat. 
he's doing all right. Um, he's got some low-grade kidney problems right now, but he's on uh, special food, and it's it's fixed it up. Um, uh, my family's cats and dogs tend to live for a very long time. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So he's got a few good years left in him, which is good. Because I do love my little Nigel. He's He's gotten old and cranky, though. Man, he <laughs> complains all the time now. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we had a, a old ginger cat um, called Schmiegel. Um, that also, I think he got like sixteen or seventeen. Um, but yeah, he was so lovely, and it was horrible when he when he passed. But a lot of good memories. Um, and we've got a new, nice little tiny ginger, which was really interesting. Um, my wife was on a social media um, platform and saw people post. They have this little ginger cat who fought off two huskies because they have two huskies. And this little tiny ginger fought off the two huskies and they were like, but we can't keep him because, you know, the huskies. So, and we rescued, um, rescued her from, from that. And she's just a delight. Um, she thinks the world of herself. Uh, <laughs> but, but she's awesome. So, um, yeah, the book, I can't wait for us to talk about that. But before we do that, um, so one of the many reasons that I uh, approached you for this podcast is I read an AMA on the DevTalk website. And there's like a whole ton of that. I'm, I'll link to it in the show notes and I encourage people to read everything. Um, but unfortunately, we won't be able to touch on all the topics. But there's some things that I'd, I'd love to just speak about. Um, so there's a quote in there that reads, it's important to me when I say me, I refer to you. This is you saying this. Um, it is important to me to do important things and things that matter, but do them in a friendly, approachable, casual way. And that totally resonates with me. So I was like, I want to talk about that. Um, so for me, it's also important that the work I do has meaning. Um, that's why I run the community I do. That's why I do a bunch of the work I do. That's why the business I'm trying to build is heavily focused around open source and trying to find ways of creating opportunity for others. Um but this podcast is not about me. So it, it, the, the second part of that is also that going alone is probably not a good idea. So community plays into this naturally. But then you get to the challenging part when it comes to community. How do we create a welcoming, safe, inclusive space for people to work together, collaborate together, learn together? Um, well, that's actually, a, it. that's related to what I was saying, but kind of a, a different angle. I mean, when I said that, it was more about, um, you know, you can do important things without doing them in a serious manner, right? To be just more lighthearted, more uh, friendly, right? Uh, and... That's something that, especially in business, you know, I do a lot of work in business, obviously. Um, you get people who are very like, I'm wearing the suit. I'm very, I'm very important. Right. And you don't have to do that to do a good job. Um, and that's kind of where I end up on that side of the spectrum. But you're right. It does help to make it more approachable for people. Um, just by, using terminology that others understand rather than using a lot of jargon. Jargon comes off as very formal and very stuffy and very um, over people's heads. So if you can use simpler language, you're going to be more inclusive for others because people who don't know your problem space will be able to understand what you're talking about and they're more likely to show up and stay But in order to do that, you have to have empathy. Um, You have to think right off the bat, I'm going to use simpler language because it will make it easier for other people to join me, right? And in order to have those thoughts, you have to be considering the feelings of others, and that's going to be empathy. And that's something that, man, I wish I knew how to teach that. I just, it's, it's one of those things that, that we tell people, I can teach you how to do open source, but I can't teach you how to care about other people. Right? That's just something you've got to pick up. Um, 
And if you don't have some sense of empathy within your community, then you're not going to have much of a community. And it's going to be entirely composed of assholes, frankly. People who don't really care about each other and only care about what they can do, what they can accomplish, what it, how this project makes them look, how it works on their CV. That's not a good way to build a community. And when you build community, I mean, open source is very, very powerful, as we've seen. It, it's, it's everywhere. 100% of the companies pretty much in the world use open source to some extent. Um, and that's, that's just mind-blowing, right? I mean, when you think of where it came from back in the early days when I started, it, no, nobody ever saw this coming. We hoped. But we didn't really see this coming back in the free, early, early free software days. Um, and it's not just that the software is under licenses. That means anyone can pick it up and use it. That's just an enabler. The superpower of open source is the people. It is the community. Because these are things that are built by people all over the world coming together and collaborating and sharing their knowledge and sharing their experience. And that right there community. That's the superpower of open source. And if you can do the research, if you can learn, because there are books out there on how to learn, how to do community management, how to be more approachable in your project. If you can learn that, you're going to attract more people. You're going to keep more people. You're going to end up with a project that is more sustainable in the long run. You're not going to get burned out because you'll have co-maintainers. It's just bringing more people on is, it, if you do it properly and you maintain the community, it's just, it's magic. It's literal magic in the real world that we live in today. Yeah, 100% agree. Well said. I actually love that. And that leads us so nicely into the next topic, which is the first book that you've already written, that's already published called Forge Your Future with Open Source. Please tell us more about the book. Um, well, first of all, never befriend a book editor because you will end up writing a book. Um, although uh, he, is, he is brilliant. He was a friend of mine before he was my editor. Um, and he knows so much about education and writing to educate that I think he would be a great person to come on the podcast, frankly. Um, he's just brilliant. Um, well, he was the, uh, my friend, Brian McDonald, BMAC. Uh, so BMAC was on, um, he was the acquisitions editor for Pragmatic Bookshelf. And he was in a, an acquisitions meeting with the then CEO of, and still founder of Pragmatic Bookshelf, Andy Hunt. And Brian's going through all the proposals he's gotten. Andy, in his very Andy way, I love Andy, he's a sweet guy, but he's like, damn it, I don't want these. What I want is a book about how to contribute to open source. And Brian's like, stick a pin in that, would you? I'll get right back to you. Um, and I was in Manchester, England at the time, speaking at a conference. Um, and Manchester is a surprisingly lovely city. Please do visit Manchester, great art museum. Um, and uh, Brian's like, hey, can we chat? And I'm like, sure, let's chat. And he said, hey, so you want to write a book? <sighs> and the thing is, years before, I had been working on a project that I called Step Zero. Um, I think probably around 2013, 2014. Um, and Brian came to me, BMAT came to me around maybe 2016. Anyway. Years before I'd started work on a project called Step Zero, before you get to step one in contributing to open source, there's all this stuff you need to know. And to me, that's step zero. So um, I started working on that and, co yeah, collecting thoughts around that because I'd been working with lots of new contributors and they all had the same sort of questions. Um, so um, when he came to me, it already kind of pushed the right buttons for me. And it took me a, a couple of months to think about it and work it through. And finally, I said, yes. Um, and it is a book targeted at people who want to not only 
contribute to open source and how you can do that and all those unwritten rules of participating in open source projects. But it also tells you how you can find the right project for you. What do you want to do with your life and how can free and open source software, how can contributing to it help you do that and move you forward? Because there are so many opportunities for you to do that. It does require that you take the time to sit down with your cup of tea and write down, you know, here are the things I want to do. In the next five years, I would love to learn this, that, the other, get to this place in my career, you know, stuff like that. Figure that out. Then find projects that can help you move towards that and then start contributing. Right. And so the book really does work through all of these things. Also has a section in there about releasing software, but it's very short because there are other books about that, you know, and, and just basic things like that. It was very important to me though, um, that the book not be specifically targeted towards programmers. Programmers are obviously critical in any sort of software endeavor, but they are not the only piece of the puzzle. To create good software, you need lots of different roles. You need project managers, you need community managers, you need marketing, you need security, you need accessibility, you need documentation, you need all of these different things. And so the, the book really speaks to everyone. It doesn't assume that you know how to program. It does assume that you want to contribute to open source. And that's really all the knowledge you need in order to get started. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I, I highly encourage everybody to read that um, because there's so many people that's interested in that uh, space, but they're like not sure where to start. And, and it's, it's, you know, I try and guide people to that, but I also don't have all the answers. So, you know, um, I still have a lot to learn, even though I've been doing it for a very long time. So I encourage people to read the book. I'm rereading it at the moment so yeah loving it um so talking on that topic like a lot of early stage developers um have this conundrum i'm learning and i want maybe maybe i want employment or maybe i'm trying to build my own business irrespective of which route you take there's this problem i need experience i need ways to show what i've learned what my skills are but like nobody's willing to give me that first chance that first break to say i'm going to trust you on this do it and let's see so one of the ways you could do that is by becoming part of the open source community and contributing there because your work's in the open so people can see that you get you learn how to work with other people um, and to collaborate take feedback give feedback all that kind of stuff but I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on all of these things. Like for some early stage developer, that's like, how can I not abuse or just use, like you said, not just use open source for me, but had get a benefit from it, but at the same time, get this joy of contributing to something that's larger than, than myself. Uh, the first thing is to find something that interests you. You know, you're never going to stick with something if you're doing it just because it's, you think it's good for you, right? Think of the, all the times you want to go to the gym. Your doctor says you must get more exercise or what have you. And so you join a gym and then you're bored or it's inconvenient or what have you, and you just stop going. But if you found a sport that you enjoyed, say you like um, ultimate frisbee or you like pickleball or you enjoy swimming, you're going to do that because you enjoy it. The same thing for free and open source software, right? Find something that interests you. Look at your hobbies. What do you already enjoy, right? Do you enjoy working on cars? There are projects out there about hooking into those little computers in your car and reading the diagnostics off of it. So that's really interesting. That's, that could be fascinating for you. Do you like electronic music? There's lots of projects out there for that. Sewing. There's a lot for sewing and knitting. And uh, a friend of mine has created a thing for a project just for like cross stitch 
for instance. It will take any image and turn it into a cross-stitch pattern. And that's open source, right? There are lots of things out there where you can start to learn. All right, so find something that's interesting to you. Um, and that, that will make it more likely that you will stick with it. Um, another alternative, as you said, is if you want to move forward in your career, right? If you want to start a business, if you want to get that first job, try and kind of zero in on the sort of things that will help you get hired or will help you start that business. What do you think you need to know to do that? If you have big corporations around you, maybe showing proficiency in Java is the way to land a job. If you have um, lots of uh, financial services or mainframe companies around you, maybe learning COBOL is the way to land a job. Right? If you are really interested in web development and design, maybe JavaScript. And then look for projects that where you can start to learn these things. Now, I also encourage you as you're doing this, make sure the projects are welcoming. And you can tell that, first of all, do they have a code of conduct at all? That's a good sign. Um, see Lurk in the project before you start to contribute, right? And see how do they communicate? Go where they hang out. Is it Slack? Is it Discord? Is it IRC? Is it just in like issue, their issue tracker? But see how they communicate. And are they mean to people who show up? If they're mean, see whether there's another project you can go contribute to because your time is valuable. Once you spend your time, it is gone. Right? You're never going to get it again. It's not like money. Money is something where when you don't have it, it feels like you're never going to have it again. But usually you do, right? And you spend it and you get more and you spend it and you get more. When you spend your time, that's it. So you want to try and spend it wisely. Don't, yeah, don't spend all your time somewhere where people are going to be mean to you and talk down to you. No, you are worth more than that. You are valuable, your time is valuable, your skills are valuable. Um, so those are some ways that you can kind of try and find the right project for you where you can learn what you want and grow your career. Um, and as you said, these things are out in the open. You can then use these as examples when you're looking to find your next, pro your next job. Um, it's really important that you use public code for this. If you are applying to a job and they want you to give samples of your previous work, do not ever give samples from previous employers because your employer owns copyright over that and you have stolen that. And what you are showing your next potential employer is that you are perfectly willing to steal code, steal documents, and give them to someone else. Why would they hire you? However, if it's an open source project, free and open source software, you can point them at the repository, you can point them at the file, and everything is above board and legal, right? And that's great. And it does show, as you said, that you can play nicely with others. That's incredibly valuable. Yeah, that's great advice. Uh, yeah, um, that's good. Oh! Come, come here, Ozzy. Oh, I know, the snow is falling. Say hi, Oz. Oh, my goodness. That is He's so cute. Oh, wow, I've never seen that. That is so interesting. Yeah. So will only be, only be listening to this. It literally looks like the cat is thumbs. It's so yeah. cool. Um, <laughs> sailors used to think that polydactyl cats were good luck. And oh. so they would put them on the ships. And mm -hmm. so you, they are more common in places which had uh, ports in them. Oh, and, interesting. Yeah. And Portland has ports. Yeah. So, hi. You want to go watch <laughs> the snow again? Okay, we can go watch the snow again. I'm sorry about Sorry for uh, that little interlude. Oh, no, that's Get a welcome interlude. Back. <laughs> that is a very yeah. welcoming interlude. 
Yeah, he's a good boy most of the time. When he's not <laughs> chewing on things he shouldn't. He likes to chew on cables. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. Not ideal. Yeah. It does get him attention, though. <laughs> That's probably why he does it. Um, totally is why he does it. So, going down the same kind of avenue, but um, maybe narrowing down a little bit. So, if you are... So, what I always... And this is hard. Um, so, if you're new and you're looking, you're looking for a job, you've decided that I want employment. I don't, you know, as my first foray into into this tech world, I'm not going to like jump right in and try and do my own business. Um, but now, some people will just settle for the first thing that comes their way, or the first like company that says, "Yeah, sure, we'll hire you." But it's not necessarily always the one that fits what you want to do. It doesn't always. Maybe they're they're what they make, or um, just their company culture might not really fit with with you, and it might not be you know the kind of place you want to work at. But for some people, it's like unfortunately, you know, they need a job because they need money, and so they do take these jobs. So I want to think about this from like two perspectives. So for, for, from the one perspective, now you're in that job and you're faced with some challenges. Um, and these are this, as they call it, the soft skill challenges. Um, it's not that your code is necessarily bad, but it's how people treat you, how they talk to you about your code when maybe it's not as good as they would con or what they consider good. Um, what are some steps you can take to improve this experience um but then at the same time what are those signals to look out for that says you know what i know money is important but long term this is going to do damage to your mental health it might be a good idea to start looking for something else um yeah uh, first of all always make sure that you and your family are safe Right. Um, if you do have to just take the first thing that comes along, because it's what allows you to keep a roof over your head and, you know, food on the table and paying for doctors and what have you do it. Right. You, you have to do what you got to do. That's that's cool. There's no problem with that. Um, however, you can also look for a job while you have a job. <laughs> and I highly recommend you do that. Um, you know, fulfill your the the obligations of your contract. Uh, but then if it's not something, if you took it just because you needed something, then immediately start looking for another job, right? Um, uh, if you're there and things don't look good, talk to someone. Don't keep it to yourself. Especially as a junior person in the company, you're not going to have the power and authority to change something. And people who are there have probably been there long enough that they don't see it as a problem, right? They have normalized that deviance. They just don't even see it. They overlook it. Um, so speak to someone. Um, when I run teams, I specifically tell new people on the team, if you see something, let, let us know. If something doesn't work smoothly, let us know. Because you're going to have a different perspective and that's super valuable. Um, if you're pointing at, you'll point out problems that we can fix and make it easier for the next person to join the team. Um, not all teams are like that, but every new person on every team has that valuable perspective. So um, definitely tell people. Um, and when you join, immediately tell your direct supervisor, your manager, hey, if I find anything in this process or if I find anything, how do you want me to report it? Don't ask whether to report it. Ask how to report it. And um, gauge how they react to that question. Um, you know, don't do it like you're an arrogant twerp who's like, oh, I'm going to find all this stuff that's bad. No, uh, d definitely do it with come from a place of being helpful. Right. Find out where to report it and and get that out there. Um, regardless, uh Keep, a, keep lists and bring it up in your one-on-one -on -one and tell your manager, hey, I hit this problem this week. Hey, I hit that problem this week. Um, it's your manager's job to enable you to do your job. So your manager should be helping you get your stuff done. And if the things that you're hitting are outside of the scope of your job, 
they'll tell you and they'll course correct and get you back on track. But letting them know that earlier on is going to be better for everyone. As we all know, it's very difficult and expensive to fix problems further down the line. You fix them as soon as possible, right? And then it's easy to correct. If you wait, things just snowball and get ugly. But do keep talking to your manager. Now, it's people keep saying it people that folks don't leave jobs, folks leave managers. And that could not be more true. Uh, most of the people you'll find in management weren't given the training to do their job, right? They, they did really well as a programmer, as a writer, as a designer. They were great at that. And they just got pushed into a management job because that's how you move up the career ladder at their company. But they weren't given any guidance on how to do that. If they were lucky, they had a mentor who could show them how to do it properly. But few people are that lucky. So um, yeah. your manager may not know what to do, frankly. Mm. Uh, and if this ends up being something that is going to make your life a living hell, you can't fix it. Don't try to fix it. You can try and manage up and you can do all that sort of stuff. But at that point, you can look for another team within the company to maybe move to. Or you can start looking for another job. Right. But if things are not looking good, just with your manager, if you're having uh, personality conflicts with another member of the team and the manager isn't dealing with it, if you're not getting assigned interesting work um, or any work, if you're being assigned too much work. Right. Um, these are things that your manager should be dealing with. And if they're not. You have to start looking. Um, and giving yourself the time and space to do that, you know, it's look before you start reaching that point where you are so frustrated and you're losing sleep and you just dread going to the, to work in the morning, you know, before it gets to that point that things are bad, you just don't want to admit it. So try to learn to admit it earlier. And this is something that you're going to be learning this lesson over and over again throughout your career. And you'll get better and better at it, but it's always painful. Yeah, it's kind of like estimates. You get better over time. Ex Although, I don't know exactly. if you ever really get good at estimates. Um, but, um, yeah, so what I hear is it's it's all about balance. Balance everywhere, like in your life. Um, ensure as soon as the balance starts tipping into the negative space, be mindful of it and don't ignore it. Like, like you said, like as soon as you detect something's off, start asking the questions what led to, to this and then if you sit in a situation where you're not in the position to change it um i think it is something that people don't forget is that there is sometimes in some companies the ability to do lateral moves so you don't move mm -hmm. out of the company you just move into a different department or under a different manager and suddenly life looks a lot better so yeah it's, it's good advice that like don't always just think that you have to leave the company if it's only the manager. That's that's the problem. Very, very good. Yeah. Um, so you've, you've hinted at this earlier, and I discovered it by chance when I looked at your blog and I found an article you wrote about VS Code extensions for writing. And then I, I, I looked at it because I was curious what, what extensions you were recommending. And then I saw, wait, what? You're working on a new book? So please tell us more. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I have Brian to blame for the last one. Um, and this one's all my fault. Um, so I am obviously heavy, heavily invested in, in helping people be good at contributing to open source. But what I actually do for a living is that, that higher level, you know, business level strategy sort of stuff. Right? As a company, how do I do this properly? And that's really what the second book is all about. Um, uh, it's split into three sections, right? Yes, it's going to stay in three sections. <laughs> um, and the first section is just from the perspective of management in a company or leadership in a company, tech leadership or business leadership or whatever. From that perspective, 
here's the basic stuff you need to know about all of free and open source software. Here's what it is. Here's what free software is. Here's what open source is. Here's what you need to know about intellectual property, the basics of that. Here's licensing. Here's, you know, an open source program office. That's the first part. The second part is inbound open source. Your company is using open source software. How can you do that sustainably and correctly? And how can you use that strategically as a company to make a difference um, and to, you know, decrease your overhead, increase your profits, whatever it means to be successful for your company. And then the third part is I, as a company, am going to be, I have outbound open source. I am releasing open source. I am contributing to open source. I am supporting open source developers. It's outbound from my company. Um, so section one is done. Part one is done. Part two is almost done. When part two is done, it's going to go to beta. Um, and that means it'll be early release. And so people can buy the first two thirds of the book and then get updates as this third uh, last third develops. But um, yeah, it's just, I've seen, I've worked with so many companies um, and they all have the same sorts of questions, even if they're in completely different industries. And the answers are basically the same with just shades of different colors around the outside. You know, you're going to have the same answer for manufacturing, for automotive, for telecom, for banking, for, you're going to have the same answer with slightly different twist on it. It's like, okay, you need to care about these regulations, you need to care about that, and you need to care about you know, um, hardware and you don't. But the answer is pretty much the same. And to be honest, I got, I've kind of gotten sick of repeating myself. Um, so in this way, I'll be able to go, okay, so did you read chapter 7? <laughs> Great. Now let's talk about your specific needs around that. That's your mm -hmm. foundation. Now let's build up yeah, that's a great reason to write a book. I can see this book being invaluable right now. Like the question of sustainable open source is just at top of mind for everybody. And um, I think educating uh, companies about how to how to inbound and outbound their contributions and their consumption of open source is going to be invaluable for so many projects and um, companies. Really looking forward to, to digging into it. Thank you. Um, my publisher hopes you are correct. Yeah, I, I feel I feel very confident about that. <laughs> um, so on your publications and interviews page, um, there's this one called Open Source as a Community, Not a Brand. And we've kind of touched on that already. But um, there's three, well, three specific topics that you mentioned in there that I want to touch on. Um, so you said that there's three main challenges. Uh, because there was a lot of people in that article that, that contributed to it. You're one of one of the voices in there. Um, and so you highlighted that the influx of open source projects is one problem. And I, I'm going to let you talk about it. Um, the other one is lack of knowledge. And this is especially around licensing, which I 100% agree. I still need to understand all the licenses and how they coexist and do not coexist. And then the last one that you mentioned, which we also kind of touched on about, is monocultures. So I'm going to leave it at those three topics and let you talk about them in any way that you want. Um, well, I'll just go in order because um, it's easier for me. Um, so if you look at the uh, growth of free and open source software, just over the past five years, let alone 10, 20, 30, 40 years, um, it's you know, I spend too much time around uh, VC and, and startup people. And so you want that hockey stick right up and to the right. Um, open source definitely hit the up and to the right. Let me tell you, it's just huge. It's growing dramatically. There are literally millions of new open repositories every single year, whether they're appropriately licensed is a different matter. But um, uh, yeah, just so many. But we don't have enough people to maintain them all. Right. This is not sustainable. This is not sustainable growth. And we've got companies who are not training people how to do this. We have universities who are not training people how to do this. Um, and that's that's a big problem. 
frankly. Um, it's not sustainable for open source. And when people say sustainable open source, what they're really talking about when they say it is throwing money at the problem and paying maintainers. Okay, that's nice, but that's only one small piece of the picture, right? You have to be able to sustain what you have. Otherwise, your entire software supply chain is going to melt away. If you have just one link in that chain die, the entire chain falls apart. So that's not sustainable. We have to get more people to contribute to open source, to know how to do that, and more projects that know how to make it easy for people to contribute to open source. That's book one, right? Everyone, please go read book one. Have your professors in university buy it and teach people how to contribute to open source because we need the help. Um, so that's the first thing on the list. Uh, lack of knowledge, especially around licensing. We get this all the time where people think they know what open source is. People think they don't need a license. People think if my code is just out there and it's available, then it's open source. No. There is a canonical worldwide accepted definition of what open source is. It is maintained by the Open Source Initiative. I believe it's opensource.org slash OSD. That'll get you to the definition of open source. Um, so there is a definition of open source. It is, it is respected and required by companies and organizations around the world. So yeah, someone does get to define what that is. It's a standards body. It's called the Open Source Initiative. Um, you think you don't need a license when you release your software? Well, you're wrong. There's something called copyright law and the Berne Convention, and it's worldwide, and everybody respects it. The moment you create something, you have copyright over it. And unless you say otherwise, via a license, no one has right to use that whatsoever in any way. And so if you release your software without a license, it is instantly all rights reserved. Huh. Nobody can reuse it because that's the law. Interesting. <laughs> Sorry, that's folks, that's the way it works. Good yeah. So people need permission and the license is that permission. It not only says that you can use it, but what you can use it for. Um, so if you release your software without a license, People can't reuse it. Companies that want to use your library to incorporate your documentation, to use your designs, they aren't allowed to. And they will see that there's not a license and they will walk away because they're not allowed to do so. They could potentially get sued. And you say, I would never sue them. It's like, they don't know that. <laughs> they have to go by the letter of the law not the spirit of the law. Um, and finally, we have monocultures in this list. Um, anyone in any sort of industry is going to tell you that a single point of failure is bad, right? Um, that you don't have to be security, you don't have to be a uh, risk engineer uh, to know that a single point of failure is bad. This is why we end up in so many, so much, uh, so many problems in open source is because we have all these projects with like only one maintainer. That's a single point of failure, right? Um, so single points of failure are bad. Well, what do you think GitHub is? When GitHub goes down, a lot of the free and open source software world screeches to a halt. That's true. And I love GitHub. It's very, very useful. But it is a problem from an ecosystem perspective. That is a problem. We need a diversity of tools. You need a diversity of forges where people can contribute and maintain their software. So that is bad for the free and open source software ecosystem. Um, there's also a problem from monoculture perspective at a higher administrative level. Um, projects, it, it gets really complicated with projects once you start getting into legal and financial issues. Right. Um, who holds the money? Who pays the taxes? Who holds the copyright, the trademarks, the what have you? Um, there are organizations that will help do that for you. Uh, they some of them are fiscal sponsors like the Software Freedom Conservancy. 
they're great. Um, the Apache Foundation, the Eclipse Foundation. There, there are groups out there. Uh, Apareo does things for education. Um, there's, there's projects out there that, that do these. But where all the companies are going right now is the Linux Foundation. And it is growing bigger and bigger and bigger every single year with multiple new foundations, sub-foundations under the Linux Foundation. And they do a lot of good work. That's not a problem. The problem is it's still a single organization. And under that organization is a lot of critical free and open source software. So however much good they do, it's still a single point of failure. And that is dangerous. That's a problem from a free and open source software ecosystem perspective. And so there has to be a better way to do this. There are other foundations where companies can place their projects. You can go to the open infrastructure, open infra. You can go to Apache. You can go to Eclipse. You can go to, you know, there's lots of different project or foundations out there. As a matter of fact, there's uh, something called Floss Foundations, and it has a directory of different nonprofits across the world where you can potentially place your project if you need. Um but that still leaves us with this massive foundation that is a single point of failure. And that's that's dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what's going to happen there. Hopefully nothing. Hopefully everything continues smoothly. And there's no problem with it. There's no problem with GitHub. Everything is fine. But it still is the sort of thing that can keep you up at night if you are in my sort of position helping companies work with free and open source software. Having single points of failure at any point is risky and should be avoided and fixed if you find one. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really insightful. Thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't say I've directly thought about this, but this has given me something to to think about. Because yeah, the Linux Foundation is huge. I don't even like how many projects is incubated there. Like three hundred or more, probably than that. More. Maybe. Yeah, probably more than that. Yeah, it's yeah. That's something to think about for sure. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Hmm. Well, <laughs> on that um, point, which is my head spinning, um, this was a lovely, wonderful conversation, um, m- even more than I hoped it would be. But before we before we end it, um, I love to do research on the people that I'm going to speak to on the podcast because. I truly am interested <laughs> in the people I speak with. And so I stumbled upon uh, a hobby of yours that I did not know about. And that is that you're a knitter. And I saw this one stocking cap you posted on Ravelry, which is awesome. And I'm going to ask my wife to, to knit it for me because she's heavy crafter. She's like crochet and all these kinds of things. Um, so I'm curious, like, how long have you been knitting? How did you get into it? What is it that you get from this, that this is completely different to the tech world? It's completely separate from all these other things. And wh- and then the other thing that I'm curious about is, is there anything that you found in the Ravelry community that the open source community can learn from? Um, so knitting is one of the many handcrafts that I do. I also do a great deal of... Um, cooking. Um, I'm starting to do a lot of hand stitching. Um, Just came up with a black work project I'm going to work on, um, which is a sort of embroidery. Um, uh, But knitting is my primary keeping my hands busy when I need to be away from a laptop thing. Um, And, you know, with all of these things, uh, you know, the embroidery, the knitting, um, the uh, fermentation. I do a lot of fermentation as far as foods. So, um, krauts and I have a kimchi that I'm going to be Ooh, putting into jars this weekend. Nice. Yeah. I ran out of kimchi. I don't know how I let that happen. <laughs> um, so, um, you know, with all of these, so my work is all up here, right? All the writing, all the strategy, all the conversations, all the presentations, it's all up here. At the end of the day, it's really difficult to walk away and go, okay, I have nothing to show for my day, right? But with the cooking, with the knitting, with the Mm -hmm. embroidery, with all these things, 
I have a physical object. Um, sewing. I, I made a nice tea cozy, right? It for my, it's That's made lovely. out of recycled sweaters and it's got oh, cool. nice heat proof lining. It's, Nice. That's actually really hot. So, <laughs> but it's this physical thing that I can say, yes, I did this. And it really gives me that sort of satisfaction, right? Um, that I don't get out of my job. You don't have to get all your satisfaction out of your job. And I recommend you not, right? Don't get too much of your identity wind up, wound up in your job because your job doesn't care about you nearly as much as you care about it. Mm, good advice. Yeah, so try and get an identity outside of your job. Um, as far as what the open source communities can learn from Ravelry, um, listen to your community and believe them. Because Ravelry had a major meltdown a few years ago because they had a change in their user interface and they completely revamped it. And people had told them beforehand when I look at this, I get headaches. When I look, I can't read this. When I, you know, they told them the usability of this is horrible. Please don't do that. And they did it anyway. And then when the community saw it, like the wider community saw it, they pushed back and they said, no, this is horrible. And Ravelry re-essentially said, nope, sorry, too bad. And people left in droves. It's still very large, but... Ravelry is playing catch-up because a lot of designers left. A lot of the major names in design left. A lot of people very loudly said, screw you. You're not the only game in town. We're going to go do our own thing. And they did. <laughs> right? And that's something in open source in particular you got to remember. At, because your source and your code and your documentation and everything is out there under a permissive or reciprocal license. Anyone at any time can take it and say, you're jerk faces. I'm going to take your stuff and go over there and start it all over again. And that's called forking. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they will fork your project and they will create their own. So if you don't listen to your users, if you don't listen to your community, they're going to leave and they're going to take your ball and have a game elsewhere. <laughs> nicely said yeah you're never too big to fail never too big to fall no. yeah yeah very good Absolutely. that's that's a great lesson and that's a lovely way to end it thanks so much vicky this was amazing there's so much to think about so much to go and read up about so much for people who's going to listen to this to just fill their heads with so thank you so much um and thank you for taking the time to speak with me i really really appreciate it Oh, I'm glad to be here. I'm always honored to be asked to speak with people. Um, and it's lovely to get to see folks because in these COVID times, I don't get to see people anymore. So this is wonderful. Okay. Thank you so much. Have a lovely rest of your day. Thank you for listening to the Mechanical Inc. podcast. Join the conversation on Discord. All the links are in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and share it with your friends and colleagues. If you have a moment, please leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts, as this helps others find us and helps us make a better podcast for you, our listeners. <laughs> <laughs>